Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brian, and today is Monday, November 20th, 2023, and this is episode 571 of the Lots Project podcast, where we're defining norms and designing freedom. Today's episode is titled Supplemental Animal Feed on Our Homestead, and I'll be talking about exactly that, all the ways we supplemented our feed, basically, um, the majority of them were things that we had on the farm that we either weren't working or weren't using uh some things we brought in we tried some processes but uh yeah most of it was on the farm it was just stuff to help bring that feed bill down a little bit for all the animals that we had <clears throat> excuse me so we will talk about that in just a minute first let's grab a cup of coffee catch up what's going on in the live chat and we'll dive into that topic in just a little bit Good morning. Good morning. How we doing, Digger? Thanks for signing in. Rewild their life. Rachel, how we doing? Uh, excited for the episode today. I, I, I see the, the topic uh, is a good one. And Pip back in bed. Pip, happy dreams. Uh, Pip says he signed in here uh, about 10 minutes before the show and said he was going back to bed. So I guess he doesn't want to listen to Animal Feed. Ah, what's in the cup today? Silver Bullet. Opened up Silver Bullet over the weekend, and it is just as good as it was the last time. Of course it is, because uh, Brian puts his his uh, heart and soul into every bag that he roasts. But, uh, man, uh, tasting good. Tasting good. I saved I saved a couple of the bags of Silver Bullet blend that I had. I, I dispersed them further into my um, my pile of... of uh, coffee beans I grab from when I start a new bag and uh yeah rolled in on a silver bullet blend this weekend and been enjoying that quite a bit um man check out food forest farms for coffee for your coffee lovers over the, the holidays gift giving uh Friday actually yeah let's talk about that now this week's shows uh somebody asked last week what the schedule was for the shows this week it's going to be Monday through Friday. Going to do um, going to do all of the shows this week. Going to try to do all of the shows between now and the beginning of the year because if I do that Friday before thank or before New Year's, I think it's the 29th, um, will be episode 700. So I think it would be oh no, yeah, 600. 600. Man, I'm going to do 100 and uh, 130 or 129 episodes in a, in a month, a little over a month would be rough. But uh, yeah, if I stay on track and I do a show every morning between now and the first of the year, we'll hit episode 600 at the beginning of the year. So I thought that was a significant thing to achieve. And uh, I'm just going to be hanging out here on uh, on Thanksgiving morning and Christmas morning anyway. So for you folks that want to get up and hang out and have coffee with me before you go spend time with your family, eh, get you in the right mood. It'll get you in the right mood for sure. So we'll be here all week. We will be here all Christmas week. And uh, we'll be rolling on. Uh, Friday this week, I am going to be doing a, um, I would call it a gift-giving guide, I guess. Uh, it, just things, products, and um, products, and other content creators' products, and things I'm associated with. Things that, um, not necessarily all of them are affiliate links, but... 
people I appreciate, people uh, people that have helped me out along the way that have products for sale. I'm going to throw those out there. I am going to throw a bunch of uh, of stuff that we use that I find uh, valuable. And um, yeah, a lot of it will have affiliate links, of course. But uh, Friday will be kind of that holiday guide. Things my go-to that uh, if I had a bunch of people to buy stuff for, which I've really pared down, which is is nice. But um, Friday, gift-giving guide on Black Friday. Thursday, we'll probably be talking turkeys in some capacity, raising them or eating them or cooking them or all of the above. And the, the other two days, I'm not really sure what, um, what I'm going to land in there yet. But uh, two or three days, two days, I guess, Tuesday and Wednesday, but... All week, all week this week. Good morning, Hanging Laundry. Good morning, MSU Rifle. Hope everything is good. Hope you had good weekends. Um, and also on Friday, I forgot to mention, we'll have 250,000 Satoshis to give away currently. That is the pot. If uh, anybody is interested in uh, adding on to that pot, just let me know. I, uh, I tossed in another 25,000 for this week. We didn't qualify for the drawing to give it away on Friday. That 225 goes up. Um, <laughs> those those uh that uh that number go up and uh yeah if you want to drop on the pile let me know and we can get that arranged you can uh you can just send those over send those sats to me on um i don't know i guess noster or noster or telegram or i can get you just a plain old uh lightning address to shoot them to so if you're interested let me know let me know i've uh got audience members that have dumped in and um and co-creators that have dumped in it's been great so um what happened this weekend what happened this weekend uh got to go on kyle uh, the back backwoods butcher he isn't here this morning but i uh, got to go on his show he had his 30th 30th i guess it would be live stream podcast is um uh, is what we got going on. His Meet the Critters episodes on Saturday nights. I was uh, I was hanging out on Saturday, and very similar to la the Sunday before. Um... <laughs> Hunter's dropping his lightning address in the comments. If anybody wants to, anybody wants to donate to Hunter's um, holiday giveaway. <laughs> I don't know if Hunter's having a holiday giveaway, but his lightning address is in the in the in the comments there. Um and it was similar to the weekend before when I got a message from Toolman Tim saying, Hey, uh, dude, I forgot to book a guest for tonight. Anyway, you want to come on and bullshit for an hour? And I, of course, um to Tim's rescue for sure. He uh, he's helped me out many times in a pinch, and uh, we work very well together. And we know we can just make it happen uh, without a whole lot of planning. So away we went. We did that. It worked out well. It was a good show. And then um, yeah, lo and behold, the following Saturday, about uh, same time in the morning, I get a message from old Kyle. Hey man, anyway, you want to come on and uh, save me from doing a show all by myself? And, uh, yeah, of course, of course, I helped the young man. I uh, had a good chat. We chatted about what he's got going on, uh, kind of his focuses going forward, how he's gotten to where he has. And um, it was good. It was good. I also came up with a proposal on there that didn't go over very well. I thought I thought it was great. And Corey, Corey definitely thought it was great. Um, but I, I, I was thinking... 
I may have had, I may have had some alcoholic beverages when I thought about it, but I was thinking about the whole Christmas light um, argument that I see on te Telegram back and forth, back and forth all the time, different groups. When is the appropriate time to put up Christmas lights? When is the appropriate time to play Christmas music? Da 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 da. All the whole thing. Um, you can have your Christmas music. I think that uh, that is a thing to enjoy privately. Uh, but Christmas lights don't really bother me. Christmas lights light up. They um, they bring uh, a little light to the darkness. And so I started thinking about it. And most people are saying December first um, or the day after Thanksgiving. I always thought day after Thanksgiving was the day because there would be, um, I've been to multiple towns that have had their kind of their light lighting ceremonies are the day after the weekend after Thanksgiving. So I thought that was pretty much the traditional, the traditional time, which kind of lines up with the December 1st. But I think there's a very much more important day that we could mark by giving it the unofficial start to um christmas light season and i really think it, it it's pretty obvious when you hear people talk about this day every year every year every year all you hear about is how dark it got how dark it got it gets dark early it's it's it feels like it feels like midnight at four in the afternoon it's so dark i leave work and i get home and it's dark it's dark it's dark it's dark it's dark, it's dark. daylight savings time that day when we turn the clocks back and all of a sudden it's dark at four o'clock in the afternoon. Well, why not let's coincide that day with the day that we brighten our lives. <laughs> we brighten our lives. We light up the outsides of our houses. And at four o'clock when it feels like midnight, at least there'll be shiny Christmas lights outside. I don't know. I think it's an appropriate switch. Um, I mean, I don't know what you're going to do in those states that don't do daylight savings, but for the silliness, any place you are, if it uh, if they crank up midnight down to five o'clock, why not put some Christmas lights out? Rewilder Life says ours are up because of snow. Oh, hmm. yeah. do you put them up prior to the snow and then don't do you wait to turn them on? Uh, I know I knew a lot of people that were would plan that far ahead. And they would put them up when it was warm and then they wouldn't turn them on. And I'm like, why don't you just turn them on? You got them out. I asked Kyle on, on Saturday night if he um, if he left his out all year round. And he said no. He put them up and takes them down. I don't know. The old school big ass bulbs, I can see why you would do that. But these new tiny like LED, um, LED white and uh, they're tiny. They're super tiny. Like if you can't hide those in your bushes or along your gutters, um, I I just don't get it. Jim says he put uh he put ours up as late as possible, but wanted to beat the snow too. Aren't you in Florida? Uh, when you were in New York, I I get it. Yeah. In Minnesota, you had to put them up. You had to put them up. Um, what in like. September to beat the snow. <laughs> What's that? We just left them up. We had we had them on our fence all year round, uh, and sometimes they would um, sometimes they would get turned on. Sometimes they wouldn't. Uh, Rewilder says they put them up, but don't turn them on until after Thanksgiving. Well, why? Why? If they're there, 
if they're there, are you embarrassed? Are you embarrassed to have your Christmas lights on? Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> Bring people joy and happiness as they drive down your street. Oh, so that was my new proposal. I don't think it's going to catch on, but I thought it was a good idea. I thought it was pretty good logic um, that everybody, everybody complains about how dark it is. Well, that's how we can, uh, that's how we can light up the light, light up the life, light up our life and everyone's life around us. Um, this week, this week, uh, it looks like we're trying to, or we are, uh, are, are temporarily or possibly full time. I don't know. Uh, we're reviving the after party on Wednesday, not in the evening, not in the evening this week. Uh, if you want to catch it, we were, we will be going live i believe it is at two o'clock central so three o'clock three o'clock eastern noon pacific we're going to be talking about um nomadic living simple living uh, simplifying things getting rid of shit uh, minimizing and things like that um uh, rewilder says i put green to the deck so we put them up and down <laughs> she says she's cheap. She doesn't like the electric bills. You got to get the new uh, LED lights and uh, you can get solar powered ones. That's what Corey and I have. Uh, we don't run them off electricity. We just stick the little solar panel out in the yard and uh, they run as long as they run, depending on how sunny it is and how long they've been out and uh, and cycling. They might not last all night. They might they come on, especially this time of year when it gets dark at four o'clock. Uh, they come on and they last as long as they last and then they go off. But uh, little uh, little solar chargers. If you're interested in what ones we use, I did put links for them in the, the RV skirting video because when we put the skirting up, we put the lights up because we had the hooks out and Corey was super excited to get, uh, get her lights out. And it's cool. It is cool. I do... I say it's all her. I appreciate it too. I really do. It it um it makes me smile. It makes me smile. Um and it uh, she got them out. We put them up and now when we walk the dogs, if we had um if we have if we wait till she's done with work and we take the dogs for a walk, we end up in the dark. And it is really kind of cool to um, it is really cool to come back, leave and they're off and come back and you, you kind of breach the trees getting towards our trailer. Uh, and there they are. And they're all twinkly and stuff. So it is. It's nice. It's nice. Um, she said she had she had the solar ones and they didn't last and went back to the 28 year old ones. Huh, this is our second season with them, so I can't um, I can't comment on the longevity, but uh, they seem to be working well. They worked all winter last year and winter. I don't know how they'd work in the extreme cold of up north because we were in Texas and it didn't really get that cold, and it was complete. It was a lot sunnier in Texas in the winter, so I don't know. I don't know how they'd work up north. We'll see. We'll see how they do in Tennessee, and um, and probably that's about as far north as we'd be getting if, uh, if we got Christmas lights out. So there is that. Um, uh, Jim wants the link. Hold on one second, Jim. I'll grab that. Uh, but anyway, it was a it was a solid weekend. 
we um we spent a lot of time together Corey actually went uh, on a little shopping trip by herself which is which is unusual um if Corey's leaving the house she's usually with me uh but she took a solo trip and looked for a jacket she was able to find a jacket uh ended up having to go to walmart didn't you Started at Tractor Supply. We're hoping to find some of the Tractor Supply, but all they had down here at Tractor Supply was um, Carhartt style, and that's kind of what she was trying to get away from. She was trying to get away from that um, stiff, stiff uh, material and something a little better for the the winter. But there you go, Jim. I dropped that in the in the comments. Might have to copy and paste it because I don't know if it'll be a hot link or not. But those are the ones that we picked up and we've been liking. So <laughs> anyway, we're way past 15. No, not way past, but we're past 15 minutes. I want to get to that topic of the day. And uh, today we're talking feed for our animals when we're on the homestead. Um, another uh, idea, if you're a starting out on your homestead or you want to learn some new skills, for implementing on your current homestead you should definitely check out um my friend nicole sauce she's going to be on the she's going to be on the after party with us on wednesday but uh, check out nicole's webinar replays that she does she does all sorts of cool uh workshops where she teaches canning she teaches um gardening uh, meat preservation and curing all sorts of cool stuff you want to check those out, you can get replays of the webinar over at her Podia site. I have a link for that in the video description and the audio description, but check those out. I do get a little cut if you uh, purchase those, so check them out. And if there's anything you're interested in, give them a shot. Give them a shot. Nicole's uh, definitely good at putting out quality, quality content. And um, so if you see something there that you think you might benefit from, don't hesitate to uh, give it a buy and uh, check it out. So link is in the video description and the audio description of the podcast. And I appreciate you checking out Nicole's stuff. With that, let's move on to supplemental feed. So on our homestead, we never really had anything big. We didn't have any large livestock. We didn't do, uh, I mean, besides the dogs, we didn't do pigs. We didn't do cows. We didn't do horses. Um, we had chickens, turkeys, quail, rabbits, um, that's about it. That's about it. So our supplemental feed. So the, uh, our feed bill wasn't huge, I guess, I guess, comparatively to somebody running pigs or cows, something like that. It was, it was relatively small. We did do quite a bit of volume. So the, the output because we chose to have a lot of animals on site, uh, the the feed bill could get up pretty high. And as we progressed through our years on the farm, we really focused on the quality of the feed we were feeding our animals. So that raised the price. The whole time we were there, we were trying to come up with ways to bring our feed costs down, not only because it would be cheaper for us, but the plan with a lot of our animals was to make money off them. Whether it was the meat or the products from them, the plan was to eventually sell them, uh, process them and sell them, take their, their, off their products that they produce and sell them. And if we could reduce our feed costs, that reduced our product costs, which increased our profit. 
So always, always, always looking for ways to, and I say supplemental feed. I'm, I'm talking anything from throwing them some scraps every once in a while when you have them to actually putting something into production or uh, consistently feeding it every day. So I jotted down a list. Corey and I happen to be just talking about um, talking about topic show topic ideas, and uh, some of these things on the list came up. Morning, Kyle. How we doing? Thanks for swinging in. Uh, some of these things on the list popped up, and as they were popping up, I was like, "These are all supplemental feed items," and that would be pretty much a a whole episode. So here we are. Here we are. Um, with Kyle jumping in, I just want to remind everybody: if you're watching, please. Uh, hit that like and uh, like down below. Make sure we have all the thumbs up we can uh, for the episode. But let's get on to my list of supplemental feed ideas that we did. Uh, one of them, one of the main staples, and it, it's, it's probably going to come to a shock to anybody that listens to the show, but we we supplemented all our animals with comfrey leaves. Weird, weird. It's something that we grew, we grew a lot of. We also were very conscious of the whole um, the whole liver damage, the whole liver damage issue. And um, as much as I push back on the the liver issue with humans and human consumption, I'm not telling anybody to take it. I'm not telling anybody to drink the tea. But um, man, the amount they gave a human or a, the amount they gave a uh, a, a lab rat to get these results was uh, pretty significant. And for a human, it would just be almost impossible to ingest that much. Do your own research. But animals are a lot smaller. Chickens are a lot smaller. Quail are a lot smaller than humans. And we were very careful not to overdose them. We didn't give it to them every day. Um, we supplemented it a lot when we felt that the animals weren't healthy. Uh, if they were having health issues, if they um, were a little sick, uh, or they just didn't look well. Uh, if we had hot spells or super cold spells, uh, we would supplement them in with comfrey leaves. We also would um, sprinkle dry comfrey leaves on their food. If we were like the rabbits, when we were feeding them pellet food, we would take the dried comfrey, sprinkle that in with their food to give them that little supplement, that little extra boost um from the comfrey that is uh that was pretty much from the beginning till the end that was something we were successful with and we really liked uh going along with other stuff that just grew on the farm that we didn't have to put anything into other than the effort to harvest it we um we fed our chickens uh, a ton of uh lawn grass so lawn clippings when we bought the place we um we ended up with a riding lawnmower to take care of the, the small amount of property that we we actually mowed and uh, we got bagger attachment the chickens loved the days where we mowed the yard and gave them the the bag the clipping bags uh you could watch the the feed that they ate on those days went down um and it was just better than tossing it away once my compost pile was uh, had enough, then the the balance of it went to the chickens. And we mowed, what did we end up mowing? Like an acre and a half? Acre and a half to two acres is what we would mow. 
Uh, and when we would mow it, it was pretty long. We, we didn't really, um, we didn't really chop it down or keep it manicured. So we would get a significant amount of green matter and, and that would go right to the chickens that didn't, that didn't go sitting somewhere. It didn't go up in a pile to get all rotten and nasty. I used what I needed to balance the brown that we had for our, um, for our compost piles we were running. And then the rest got piled in the chicken coops. They love to scratch around in it. They love to break it around or uh, bust up the piles, play around in it. And then uh, they consumed quite a bit of it and then all the bugs and things in it. So <coughs> we were harvesting the comfrey leaves anyway to get to the roots. Um, we used those fresh and dry. We were cutting the lawn. We were mowing the lawn. Regardless, we would bag up the clippings and go with that. Um, with our rabbits... We fed them pellets, uh, mainly pellets and uh, water was basically what they got. We would get, um, we would buy bag pellets from the, the hardware store or the, the feed store. And one thing that we really, well, I didn't really enjoy it. They, they really enjoyed it. Um, but from the time that there was no snow till the time that we had snow, which was a short period of Minnesota, we would supplement the rabbits with um, hay, hay from our field, like hand cut. We didn't buy hay bales. We did in the off season. We bought like alfalfa bales. We bought um, anything. Timothy hay. Uh, we would buy the, the bricks. But when we had available hay in our backfield, um, the the back the field behind our barn uh once it got you know four or five inches long in the spring which didn't take long because we didn't really cut it down in the fall i would take out the the loppers um i think i'm probably older than a lot in the crowd but if you watch wrestling back in the 80s and 90s uh brutus the barber beefcake had um the big loppers the long blade, long handle loppers. I don't even know what they're called. Uh, shears. They're large for shears. But uh, I would go out every day. Every other day, I would take a tote out with me and and basically hand cut hay for them. Fill the tote, uh, lop it along, pick it up, throw it in the tote, bring it around to the, to the rabbits and then portion it out for them. We had hay hangers on the side of every, on the side of every cage. Uh, eventually, well, we started with just putting it in on the, the ground and, or on the floor of the cage. And we quickly realized they would just drop it through the bottom or they would piss on it or poop on it. And then it was no good. They wouldn't eat it. So it became like a mat on the bottom Eventually, we got smart and we put uh, a built um, fabricated hay feeders on the side of each of the cages. Basically, a little uh, a little mail slot or a little mail or a file holder that you hang on the wall. The little uh, angled slots, uh, and then we would stuff that with hay. They would pull it through the holes in the cage and just devour it. They really liked it. I tried to um, cut it up for two days get beyond two days it would dry out and it just wasn't as appetizing to them as the as the fresh stuff but the the difference between when we would buy the compressed bales or the dried out bales and when i would cut it fresh they they definitely enjoyed it fresh more so we tried to do that as much as we could 
and it it definitely cut down on the pellet use. You could tell you could tell that the the pellet use went down when we were able to supplement them with the with the fresh grass, and it was healthier healthier for them. Um. Uh. So those were that was on site. Uh, the lawn grass, the hand cut hay. Um, now for some things that we had to, to, it was more than just growing there. Um, <laughs> hold on one second. Uh, so one of the other, one of the other, the rest of these are, are, let's see, things that we, they weren't things that uh, were naturally there. I guess the comfrey wasn't naturally there. It is now forever and ever. Uh, but basically harvesting that that stuff that we were going to cut anyway, that was just growing on the property uh, and and that we could give to the animals. And the more they consume, like it's all a calorie count. They're all going to consume about the same amount, whether it's from one source or the other. And if I can give it to them where... I'm not paying for it or paying less than full price. It it was a benefit. Um, one of the one of the things we attempted and we attempted it multiple times. Actually, I was trying to think back and if it was two or three times. I'm pretty sure it was two different two different attempts. Might have been three, but <coughs> we failed. We failed. Um, uh, in the end, in the end, I would say we failed. We had semi-success. We used the product uh, for a while, but uh, we tried to grow fodder. We tried to grow um, fodder for the chickens and the rabbits. They it it was it was an interesting experience. <laughs> it was um, we had our issues with it. We had our issues with it. I think one of the main issues was we never really were able to source the right kind of um, the right kind of seed. So all the research I said or I did um, said for in-home small systems, you're going to want to use barley. You're going to want to use uh, a higher-end barley. You're going to sprout it. You're going to let it grow into a mat. You're going to cut the mats or throw the mats of fodder to, uh, to the, um, to the chickens, give a little, give a little, uh, chunk of it to the rabbits. Um, Kyle says our friend did fodder so much work. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of work. And like I said, we couldn't buy, we couldn't find barley seed. Um, the only thing we could really get uh, semi-locally and conveniently was wheat. We looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and couldn't find anything. We we found wheat. The more I looked into it, the more they said, yes, you can do wheat. It's, it's temperamental. It's touchy. It's hard to do. It's not really the best beginner, but it was my option. So we... Um, I, I shouldn't say we, I went to, um, went to digging and trying to find a suitable solution on how to grow the stuff with as little work as possible. Um, as Kyle said, it is a lot of work. Basically, you soak the seeds, you spread the seeds out in a pan, uh, and then you water it. You water it and you flood and drain it, flood and drain it. Um there were two different systems we looked at 
the first one I, I installed, it worked okay. It was incredibly smelly. Uh, we, we would run everything at our house. Uh, and so this was in our in kind of the corner of one of our, our huge rooms, our main rooms, I guess. I guess you could call it of our living room. Uh, there were like a living room and a family room. They're connected. There was a big door in between them. It was basically one room, but we used one for living and one for crowing and raising chicks and all sorts of stuff. So we had the fodder system in there and it worked okay. It worked. It grew. Um, we had some mold issues. We had some smell issues um changing the water so basically the way we set it up is a big sump in the bottom uh with a pump and then one system had um basically like a sprinkler on top and it would run up and it would drain down through all the pans it back into the sump uh another one had separate um sprinklers and it would kind of sprinkle in and it would drain from each pan into the sump but basically, both of them re relied on the water draining. The pump was on. The pump was on a timer. The pump came on and it went off regardless of whether the water was draining out of the pans or not. Well, on one occasion, Corey and I came home from work. And what was about 40 gallons? About 40 gallons of stinking, nasty, disgusting, dirty fodder water. Um had overflowed since the the pans had stopped draining they had gotten clogged with the dirt and the holes and things as much as we washed the seed before we started uh they were always super dirty um so they were always super dirty they were always um dusty they would the holes would come off when they would when they would hatch hatch sprout <laughs> when the seeds would hatch uh, so that would end up clogging the holes, whether the holes weren't big enough. I don't know. I don't know. But we came home one morning or one afternoon after work and the carpet was soaked with nasty water. Happened to be, what was it, the Friday before Easter, the Thursday, a couple days before Easter, a couple days before Easter. We, we were hosting Easter uh, at the house. So basically we ripped up the carpet. Uh, there were beautiful hardwood floors under it that were kind of messy at that point and also old um it was like old uh linoleum like super old linoleum and it had that black black very sticky uh adhesive under it so we spent uh thanks or easter with our family uh cory's family on hands and knees and heat guns scraping uh adhesive off the floor and we had an awesome time <laughs> i don't know i don't know if they did I did for sure. I had extra four people scraping the floor with me, but uh, basically it overflowed. That was the end of that attempt at the fodder. It really, um, it really soured both of us to the whole experience. We went on. Um... <laughs> Kyle says, listening to your homestead stories, I understand why you live in a camper. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. When when the systems worked, when the systems worked, the chickens devoured the stuff. The the rabbits absolutely loved the greens. They weren't as big on the on the uh, root systems as the chickens were, 
the chickens you would basically take um so i would i think the first time we tried to run it in 1020 trays and the second time we tried to run it in bus tubs like uh the big heavier duty bus tubs <coughs> bus tubs work better the 1020 trays were tough oh no we tried it in uh the cat litter trays they were like uh, dollar store cat litter trays and uh, they were um Oh, uh, Hunter says he mixes up fodder with fermented. I'll hit fermented here in a second, too. Um, the the cat litter trays, they were kind of uh, flimsy and bendy. You pick them up and the fodder would get very heavy. Um, I know in the conversion for barley, it's it's uh, you're supposed to get seven pounds of feed of of grass or basically it's going to suck the water in. Um seven pounds for every one pound of of seed you use so depending on how big your tray is if you end up getting a pound of seed in your tray you should have a seven pound brick of uh grass and seed root and um yeah so it's it's a significant increase but um the pans were flimsy it was hard to cut them in those pans we went with a heavier duty bus tub and then when we were growing it in the bus tubs, we would just take the whole thing down and like tear it apart. Um, depending on the day and how how clean the water was, your hands would stink. Um, if you if you touched it, it got pretty nasty, and uh, we could never really figure it out. We never really had the success we wanted with it, but uh, we always kept trying because the animals liked it so much. And I think if you got the system down and figured out troubleshot the issues that we had um i think it would have been great i think the stuff was um was good i think uh some of the problem was we didn't we weren't able to source the barley uh and the seed the wheat we were getting wasn't the right wheat um it was just what we could get from the local feed mill the grain mill and uh, I think if we had tried harder, found different sources, brought it in from somewhere, I think we would have had a much better experience with it and been able to make it work. So that was that was fodder. Um, two or three attempts, like I said, we had a major um, we had a major um, flood. We had plenty of smelly, smelly, nasty nights in the house. Uh, because the water would end up stanking and, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely experience. We definitely took our knocks on it, but we saw the value long-term in it. So we continued to try it. I think, um, I think trying to do it outside would have been a better, a better, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, had a better success or more pleasurable success rachel says i'm fully convinced if you go this route one person has to basically be home or work part-time i think so i think so depending on what you want to do now if you want to make a business out of it if you want to do enough volume in farm related activities whether that be growing and producing animals or eggs or whatever i think if you want to make that your job it has to be your job it's 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 very hard to do part-time uh because the animals are there the work is there 
Um, it's not like a side hustle, like selling comfrey, where if you don't have time, you just don't do it. Um, if you're raising animals and you're raising enough to to make a decent amount of money off them, they're always there. It's not a start it, stop it type of thing. And adding that onto a full-time job or two full-time jobs can get very, very daunting for sure. So I do, I agree with you, Rachel, wholeheartedly that um, it's that point. And I've talked about it a bunch of times and that was kind of our, our MO with all these different animals was bringing them to the point where if we went any higher, if we went any more on the animals, the number, the volume, we would definitely have to be there full time, one of us. And then we would bring it back and scale it back from there. So that was finding that that tipping point. And I and from everything I saw, making the money you need to make, having the time to do it right properly without uh, basically burning yourself out or killing yourself is uh it was definitely a part-time or a full-time gig for one person um <laughs> jim says you'll have animals out the road when you're leaving for work it'll happen i don't think we ever had a morning escape uh maybe maybe pastured chickens would get out of the thing but they were so fat and slow it really didn't matter <laughs> A rabbit's escaped. True. <laughs> um, Backwoods says he remembers checking out a farm in Colorado that supplemented their pig feed with pot leaves. Interesting. Um, Rachel says it's time sucking. It's all you do is work. Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. And uh, Jim says, yeah, Reverend, Reverend, Reverend Hoddle over, I believe he's on, uh, on Noster in Michigan feeds his rabbits, uh, quality greens. He, he's, he, he feeds them a lot of salad, salad greens. Let's just say, um, aren't the rabbits, doesn't he do colony rabbits and keep him, keep them in with the plants, uh, for the, the manure feedback. On, on this list, uh, next one was uh, fermented feed. Uh, Hunter was saying he got fermented feed and fodder uh, mixed up. We had, we had, um, we had not the best success with fermented feed. And I'm not sure why. I have a suspicion. I have a suspicion. We were using, was that pellet? We use pelletized or crumble layer feed, chicken feed, um, grower feed. Like that's what we were able to get from our feed mill. Uh, at the time we were doing fermented feed. When we, um, when we changed to our higher end feed and it was all seeds and uh, grain and whole grain, it wasn't um, processed already. I think we would have had a much better success rate. Basically, fermented feed, you soak your feed for um, overnight, two days, three days. I, I don't remember what the cycle was. Basically, you had multiple buckets. You would start to, you would start to soak it. 
uh, and every day kind of transfer it and, and have it set up in a cycle. Our experience with the fermented feed that we did with the, the crumble or the pellets was basically you'd have water and mud. Um, it would break down the already processed feeds and um, basically just make them sludge in the bottom of the bucket and, uh, and, and then water. So when we would when we would go to uh, portion it out, it was basically like porridge and water, and it smelled bad. It was it was messy. Um, we couldn't do it. There was no way we were going to do it inside. And when winter came and we turned off our hoses outside, we weren't going to be able to do it in in the winter there. We experimented with it. We did it for a significant amount of time, probably a couple months in the summer. One summer. And the the portioning got tough. Uh, we felt like they were not getting enough. We went by the guidelines of how the fermented feed was supposed to bulk up. We felt ours actually shrunk. Um, and yeah, we were confused. We went away from it. We didn't feel like it was benefiting us. The time and work that we went into it, the water, the mess, the everything, when we took it down to them, they enjoyed it. They devoured it, but we figured it was because they were hungry. <laughs> they went from free feeding uh, pellets in uh, bulk feeders to to getting portioned uh, fermented feed, and uh, it just didn't it didn't work for us. I think if we had waited, and when we moved up to our premium feed that we started feeding, a no corn no soy. Uh, it was lots of peas and, um, other legumes and, um, yeah, <laughs> I can't remember what was in it. It was absolutely gorgeous feed. Uh, it would basically, when we did a comparison, when we got it for the first time, we were blown <laughs> away. It actually looked like, um, something that would be like on the forest floor, um, it, it, it natural. You had a bowl of the the crumble, which was all just brown and gray and and solid, um, consistent color, consistent size, and then the bowl of feed that we ended up getting from the feed mill and got custom made was all seeds and uh, little little peas and things that looked like something a bird would want to eat. Um. <laughs> Backwood says he's tried to do it with the pigs. And in the end, he has too many animals to feed. Yeah. I think if we had soaked sunflower seeds, sunflower seeds were in there. One of the things that were in there. Uh, I was trying to picture the, the big seeds that I would see sitting in the, in, in the, in the mix. But I think if we did the fermented feed with the whole grain, um, with the unprocessed feed, it would have done similar to the fodder. It would have started to um, sprout those seeds. It would have absorbed more into, into the grains and, uh, and really worked better other than just like making it a big pile of mush. And, and that's what we got out of, out of our crumble and our pellets. Were we doing it wrong? Completely possible. Um, were we using the wrong feed? More than likely more than likely. Um, it was a, it was a shot in the dark. It was a shot in the dark for sure. So we did that. Uh, another great, um, supplemental 
feed for the rabbits, for the chickens, especially our layers, is um, leftovers from our vertical garden. Once we installed the vertical garden in our kitchen, and I've talked about it a couple times, I talked about it when I talked microgreens, I talked about it um, a ways back, and I'll probably do a whole episode on just this production model in our kitchen, but we installed the vertical garden that uh, that Jack Spierko kind of came up with, and it was really set up for a family of four, um, and it was Corey and I, and man, it it flourished. I think I think family of four was a it was a, a an underestimate. So Corey and I would eat salad at least twice a day, every day, seven days a week. Uh, we would eat as much as we could, and we always had leftovers. Whether it was good leftovers or just when we would switch out the plants once a week on Sunday when we would pull out the roots and uh, the stems and the cores because we would just cut and come again all week on all the plants in there, and they would flourish. They'd grow back. The root systems would get big. Uh, sometimes we even pulled out, we were growing turnips in there for turnip greens. We would pull them out, and there would be the bulb of a turnip in the bottom in the, in the net cup. So I would take all of that stuff when we would harvest, when we had leftover uh, salad uh, nightly or weekly when we would train, change out all the plants and do a rotation, we would have 15 plants we were pulling out of the system every Sunday. So that all, all of that stuff went in a big bus tub. It went down and got dumped in the, in the chicken coop uh, in the middle of winter in the middle of winter because we ran the we ran the vertical garden all year round inside to have fresh greens when it was cold out when it was snowy out couldn't do it outside even when we could do it outside it was more controlled it was in the kitchen so being able to take all that leftover scrap from the vertical garden and um give it to the chickens to supplement their feed in the winter it i think it made them happier I think they were happier birds. It also cut down our, our feed bill in the winter where they were increasing their feed intake to stay warm. Um, it was, yeah, once a week, maybe a couple times during the week, they get a little extra. When we would do microgreen harvests, um, we would have piles and piles and piles of them in the refrigerator. And at some point, you just can't, um, you can't eat anymore. Man, our chickens got the highest end greens all year round. Uh, the rabbits would get them. So the leftovers from sources like that, if you're putting in a little aquaponic system, you're putting in a little hydroponic system, maybe scale it just a little bit bigger than you think you'd need um, because the work going into it isn't as much as the benefit coming out of it. Just adding a couple extra plants adding a little bit more than you're going to consume, sprouting a little bit more sprouts than you're going to eat, growing a little another tray of microgreens that you're not going to eat, giving those to your animals both make them happy and help cut down those feed costs even just a little. Uh, so those, the vertical hydroponic garden leftovers, the microgreen leftovers, any clean outs that we did, um, and then right out to the, the outside garden. Man, our chickens got tons and rabbits got tons of stuff from our garden. When we when we would um, weed the garden, when we would go through and find rotten fruit or underdeveloped fruit, 
when we would have to shut down the garden inevitably sooner than all the, the harvest had been done because of the snow, um, whole plants into the chicken coop, um, extra fruit, extra tomatoes, extra peppers, extra peas, anything that we had that came out of the garden went into the chicken coop. After the fact, we realized you weren't supposed to feed your chickens tomatoes. We heard we weren't supposed to feed our chickens tomatoes after we had fed them, oh man, I would say a half a dozen five-gallon buckets of tomatoes. Like seriously not, that's probably on the low end. Um, we had a, over 100, probably over 100 tomato plants a couple of years. And at the end of the year, you got green ones, you got almost ripe ones. In, in Basically, in Minnesota, when the growing season's over, it's over. Um, either they drop on the ground and you get a shitload of volunteer tomato plants or you get them out of there and uh, have to do something with them. So we would fill five gallon buckets with them and set them down by the chicken coop. And basically daily we would go and just throw a five gallon bucket or a half a five gallon bucket in the run and they would devour them. They absolutely love them. We never had one die. We didn't have any, uh, any kickoff from that. So I don't know, do your own research, weigh your own options, but uh, well after the fact, after feeding them all those tomatoes, found out we weren't supposed to, I guess. Um, pumpkins, uh, man, anything anything out of the garden that we were growing all went down and got processed through the chickens and eventually into the compost because they would, they would eat. Um, yeah, they would eat it. They would poop it out into the, into the pine chips and then that went into our compost. Kyle says, I'm going to be planting the pig's winter paddock with pumpkins in the spring to help supplement. Yeah, they would love that, man. They would definitely love that. So the garden clean out. Um, one thing we would do to, we did to supplement feed, and it was for way more reasons than that, but you just, you realized that it did, was we kept our, our meat birds, our chickens and our, um, our turkeys on pasture. We moved them every day. Uh, we worked on our pasture. We added um, we added seed behind the tractors as we would move them, as we tried to supplement season to season to season to make the ground better. As we were adding the nitrogen, as they were pecking it up and tearing it up a little bit, we would follow behind with clover and things that we wanted to come up in the field. The field itself, just from the nitrogen influx, became thicker. It became more lush. The grass looked better. Um, some native species started coming back and the chickens and the turkeys, um, naturally would eat what they liked and shit it back out and reseed what they liked. And it was almost a self, uh, fulfilling, uh, cycle, but we definitely supplemented their feed by having them on pasture. <coughs> Excuse me. And then, um, some of our laying hens are, uh, when they would retire, we would sell some and then we would keep a bunch around um, for tick control, for just having them around. Corey and I both loved watching the chickens. So being able to set some free that we weren't counting on laying eggs, having them wandering around the yards, we rarely fed them much of anything uh, because they were able to forage and scavenge uh, bugs and, and grass in the yard, leaves, and, and they just had, they had the best time running around free ranging. So if you're really in a spot where you don't have a lot of feed, uh, a lot of money to put into feed, you're going to always put your chickens out 
um, and free range them and uh, let them find a lot of their own feet. Is it 100%? I mean, can they survive? I'm guessing they will. Will they be high producers? Will they be happy, healthy birds? Eh, I don't know. I don't know. It really depends on what your area has to offer and uh, what you have in your yard and how long uh, uh, out of the year they'll be able to forage like that. A uh, couple, one last one, one last one. I guess we used um, to supplement our turkeys and our quail with. Um, a product that another animal produced for us on the farm. So when we would get turkeys and we would get baby turkeys in about July, end of June, early July for Thanksgiving. Um, one of the things that, that you really need to do with turkeys is really get a higher protein, higher protein feed at the beginning, definitely the beginning uh, of their life, uh, get them kicked off, right? get them growing um 26 28 percent uh protein feed uh, you can find turkey starter you can find um you can find turkey starter I actually ended up feeding the turkey starter to my quail because the the protein content was up there um but one of the ways we would supplement because of the the time that we got the turkeys our laying hens were always just blasting out eggs at the time. Corey and I also ate a lot of eggs. We ate a lot of hard-boiled eggs. So we started hard-boiling eggs for the turkeys. When we would feed them as pullets, as we would feed them out on pasture, any excess hard-boiled eggs we had, we would take them, bust them up, and put them in their feed. They absolutely loved them, and it, it, it supplemented that, that protein that protein level in the feed that was, you know, it was, it was enough, but you give them a little extra, they get a little bigger, they get a little more robust. And, uh, it, it seemed like ours didn't die as much as, uh, as much as everybody always said that they will just randomly die in the first six weeks. I think we went through, we had turkeys twice and then we got canceled on the third time. I think, I don't think we have many die at all. Uh, in that first six weeks. And I think um, I think protein intake, giving those supplemental hard-boiled eggs was uh, part of the key to, to very little losses on the turkeys. So that's my list, guys. Let me hit it real quick again. Comfrey, uh, hand-cut hay out in the yard, yard grass and clippings. If you're not spraying, if you're not putting chemicals on your yard, I didn't mention that when we were talking about it. We did not put any sort of chemicals on our grass, our yard, or anything like that. So uh, it was definitely clean grass clippings. Uh, we attempted fodder a couple times. Fodder will work for you if you try it and are successful. Uh, give it a try and you might uh, flood your flood your living room or uh, deal with some pretty stanky stuff. Uh, fermented food is an option. Uh, clean outs from aquaponics and hydroponics system or even just your normal garden, uh, outside garden. That was a big uh, supplemental area for us. The hard-boiled eggs from the chickens when we had an excess and we were raising the turkey and the quail, it was a great source of protein for them because what were we going to do with them? We could only sell or eat so many. And these were in the gluts where you couldn't really plan on this long term. So you had to deal with it in the short term and feeding them back to the animals was a perfect choice. And then getting them on pasture or free ranging the birds was definitely a way to cut down on that feed bill. So 
Kyle says he's not looking forward to get back into the birds next year. What are you doing? Meat, turkeys, meat, chickens, layer, bird, layer chickens. What do you got going on there? Why aren't you looking forward to it? It can be fun and enjoyable. Uh-huh. Yep, sure can. Uh, anyway, guys, I haven't gotten a topic down for tomorrow yet. I got a bunch on a list. I just haven't really uh, lined it up this week. It uh, It's going to be a little homesteader heavy, nomad heavy uh, coming up. Uh, from just from looking at the list of topics and then i will definitely sprinkle in some more stuff about uh bitcoin and all the other topics we'd like to talk about around here but uh this week might be uh might be a homestead nomad type of week so we will see other than that it's been a great monday guys i hope you had an awesome weekend i hope you uh i hope you knock it in the ass this week a lot of people short week um I know Corey, Corey has got a fun week. She's two days on, two days off, one day on. Pretty easy to handle. Uh, but hopefully you have a, a short week coming up. You got uh, some time off. You can enjoy with your friends, family, or doing nothing, just relaxing. And we'll see. We'll see. Guys, I, uh, I appreciate listening. If you'd like to participate in the live comments, you can always join the live recording Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Central on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others. You can find uh, all links to all my social media services. I offer recommended products and companies I am affiliated with at thelotsproject.com. Be sure to listen on one of your favorite podcast 2.0 value for value podcast players like Podverse or Fountain.fm. Make it a great day, guys. And... Uh, Yeah, we'll catch up with you in the morning.